this is Alex. And this is James. And you're listening to the American Toffee Podcast. Everton are coming off a 2-0 victory at Goodison Park against Bournemouth. James, what did you think about the game? An ugly win is a win nonetheless. Um, we're not in a position to be turning our noses up at what we saw, but uh, definitely not a game that will probably live long in the memory. The first 30 minutes were pretty horrific, really disjointed. Players looked low on confidence, and from the get-go, the announcers spent the first probably 15 minutes commenting on how quiet it was at Goodison. And, and even through the TV, you could tell that the atmosphere was really, really poor. You could. It was it was apparent, and that was annoying, but I guess understandable that it's hard to bring the passion to the match from the start, especially when your team looks sluggish once again. But how much of an impact do you think the rain and the wind had today? I think early on, everyone looked very, very confused and, and very everyone struggled to kind of come to grips with the weather. I just I just don't think you can really use it as an excuse because it is still a level playing field where both teams have to deal with it. But I do think that contributed to some of the ugliness early on. And, you know, of course, immediately the referee, Anthony Taylor, tries to insert himself into the game, make himself the center of attention. It's really... Really just, I mean, everyone knows that was an, an absolutely horrific performance from the referee. Can't really say that we can blame anything on that, but it was so one-sided, the refereeing, because we were guilty of a lot of fouls and we played aggressively and, and we had some questionable tackles and, and things like that. But the the calls were completely one-sided because I thought Bournemouth were bullying Richarlison. On Richarlison, I would say, I think he's starting to lose any goodwill he has with any referee because of his proclivity for going down very easily. And I think referees are kind of honing in on that and, and struggling to, I mean, they're not giving him anything. And I think at at some point he has to look at himself and his, his actions and wonder how he can work harder to stay up and maybe not go down so easily every single time. And that might lend itself to getting more calls. What do you think about the weather and also Anthony Taylor? I think that the weather looked pretty daunting with that much rain coming down. The surface is slick, which I I think it almost always lends itself to seeing some more mistakes in terms of bad tackles or mistiming things. But it's usually said that with that much rain, with that much water, it's a positive for whichever team is attacking in the moment because you will you might see someone like Michael Keane slip while they're on the counter or something like that. Luckily for us, it lended itself in our favor today. And in terms of the refereeing performance, Anthony Taylor was literally awful. I have never seen a performance that bad from a referee ever across any sport. And the NFL has been really, really poor this year coming from a Steelers fan. Yeah, it was, it was truly, truly awful. And I think the weather, the referee combined with what is clearly a very fragile confidence in this Everton team right now, it was kind of just set up for us to fail very early on. And, and within like literally 30 seconds, Seamus Coleman got roasted on the wing 
and Bournemouth had a very good chance to score. And at that point, I was thinking this could be really, really bad. Fortunately, we managed to hold our resolve, prevent them from getting one early and a lot of back and forth. They really commanded a lot of the game early on, but right around the 30 minute mark, we started to see things turn around. The crowd came alive through mutual hatred of the referee. Wasn't really anything that we could do, but but once the crowd came alive, you could really see how that affected the player's performance, right? Yeah, absolutely. Everton started dragging themselves back into the match towards the end of the first half, and then they came out really strong in the second half, which was good to see. It was interesting to see today that Coleman came back in for Kenny after it seemed like John Joe Kenny may have earned himself a couple of games in the starting lineup. Yeah, it's a little bit harsh on John Joe Kenny, but at the same time, Coleman gets a little bit of a rest, time to regroup. This past week, we haven't had a game, so the holiday fixture is finally over. A good chance to reset and get, get hopefully Coleman back to his best, because I do think when he's playing well, he's head and shoulders above John Joe Kenny at the moment. It's just that we haven't seen him play well in quite some time. So yeah, harsh on Kenny, um, but but I didn't think Coleman was all that poor. Early on, he had a couple of miscues, but beyond that, relatively solid performance. Um, the other change, most notable change, would be Adam Lookman finally getting his long-awaited start. Of course, would have come earlier due to injury, but I thought he was magnificent today. He was fantastic. I mean, he was so good. The thing about Lookman is the fact that his technical ability is so much better than you see in a lot of young English players or a lot of young players in general. And and a quick sidebar here, David Brooks on Bournemouth looks a really good young player. Back to Lookman, his technical ability paired with his pace. And then finally, the key aspect of his game, his decision-making. Because you saw, specifically for our second goal, probably I think the second to last kick of the match, his assist to Dominic Calvert-Lewin, he doesn't slide the ball, try to slide the ball across the six-yard box like maybe Theo Walcott would try, and he doesn't try to nick it over to the far post. He picks his head up, and he makes a good decision. Let me just take the easy, direct pass to Dom, and who is calling for the ball? And there you have it. You have a 2-0. And he had several key passes. He also had four dribbles. It seems like he comes into the team not suffering from any kind of you know lack of confidence that may be plaguing the rest of the squad, hasn't been in the team very much, eager to prove himself and assert himself as a regular mainstay in the Everton team. And, and it was clear from the get-go that what he has is, is unique to any other player in our squad. He gets the benefit of having space because players are afraid to close him down for fear that he can just do a little trick and be by you. Some, some stuff like that we've seen from Bernard. Theo Walcott doesn't really have that beyond pace, but his agility and his unpredictability is something that was really lacking. And his, his ability to cut inside or go wide was a real asset for us. And switching wings with Bernard, I thought they, you know, they did a little switch around the 30-minute mark and changed up the matchups and gave Bournemouth stuff to think about. And that was right around the time when we started to look much more fluid, started to be able to string some passes together in the opposition half. I thought he was the link up that was much needed today and kind of brought the whole, you know, our offensive front together. 
He definitely was. And so let's move into the tactical analysis piece, right? We saw, as expected, Everton were aiming to have the majority of the possession. It didn't shake out that way. It was 51 to 49%. But we saw Bournemouth pressing as high and aggressively. And that's what we've seen from some of the bigger clubs. And it's really stunted us before. Do you think that that had a pretty big, big impact in, in playing a lot of sloppy passes and having a hard time retaining possession? Oh, absolutely. It, it was clear that, that the way that Bournemouth came out, they wanted to make it difficult for us to play the way that we like to play, which is keep it on the ground, move the ball wide, get a lot of quick movement with the ball and get the ball forward. The pressure that they were applying made things very difficult for us. We had players that we looked completely on the back foot. A lot of passes going to like Ghana or Gomez that were immediately being returned to Keane and Zuma. Um, I thought Luca Dean played exceptionally well today, but there was a lot of, combined with the crowd and the atmosphere, there was a lot of fear, I think, in in the fans and in the team. And it took a while for us to kind of realize, like, look, this team has conceded a lot of goals this season. So if you can break their semi-press, they're very vulnerable. And once we kind of, that kind of clicked, it was a complete 180. And we really, they, they didn't really have any great chances throughout the rest of the game until the very end when we made it very, very nervy for ourselves, conceding a lot of corners. Very well said. And then Everton, on the other hand, I thought showed a really good defensive display. Specifically, Michael Keane, he had a really, really good match. Yeah, Michael Keane was unbelievable. Winning stuff in the air, all kinds of stuff in the box. Made a crucial tackle towards the end in like the 90th minute, 92nd minute to prevent a really good chance for Bournemouth to equalize. Continues to impress probably our most consistent defender, but you know, shout out to Kurt. Well, I guess Luca Dean is probably up there, but central defender, Michael Keane, certainly. And then Zuma, after having a really, really shaky game against Lincoln city showed me a lot today. I was really impressed with both center back pairing worked well together, looked like they wanted to dominate in the air. I was a little bit concerned with Jordan Pickford. I thought in the first half, he had a couple of really nervy moments. Some of that communication between the center backs and Jordan Pickford seemed to be non-existent at times where there's an awkward ball played back and, and it's unclear to both players who's going to claim the ball, who's going to clear it. I thought as the game went on, Pickford grew in confidence and he made some really nice, aggressive plays coming out of the goal. He did. What we have to remember with Jordan, he's 24, 25 years old. And in keeper years, that is essentially like a player that just broke into the first team and is able to sit on the bench. Keepers play into their mid to upper 30s or can play into their mid or upper 30s. Look at Stecklenburg, he's 37. And so Jordan has a lot of experience for his age, but at the same time, with all the different things that can happen in a match, specifically for a keeper to figure out and different situations to be aware of, he's just going to have to keep learning and get the experience. Luckily, I think a lot of the fans are, are pretty much behind him and feel lucky to have him at the club like I do. So. Fortunately, specifically, if we look back at last season, not this season as much, but last season, he saved us from far more goals. He, he earned us a lot more points than he's given us 
given up this season. Yeah, he has. Like you said, he's still young for a keeper, has a lot of room to grow. And I think the way that we've shuffled our defense so regularly, it makes it difficult to build those types of partnerships and those lines of communication that I mentioned earlier. He's still one of the best keepers in the Premier League. He may not be in the greatest form right now, but he had a couple of really nice saves. He had that one coming out of the goal to and coming out of his box even to, to hoof it clear. I think it's un, undeniable that his confidence was certainly shaken after the Derby game. But since then, I think he's really kind of settled down and, and he, the whole team needs to start showing a strong professional mentality in approaching these games because for the first part of this game, there, there really wasn't any signs of that. It looked like what we've seen on display for the last several matches, not doing the things that we've stood, done so well for the first third of the season. So I think it comes down to Marco Silva at halftime. I think whatever, whatever the talk that he made to the team really had an effect because it was, it was really night and day what we were able to do with the ball at our feet. A lot of players moving very fluidly players looking to play at first time and not looking to receive the ball and, and pass backwards or hold onto the ball until they're tackled. I think Gilfie Sigurdsson had a really, really poor game overall. Again, he improved later on, but he is such an important player for what we do in the attacking third that when he's not clicking and not able to complete, not even difficult, overly complicated passes, but even the simple passes were going five or 10 yards off. And I think that really kind of just threw a wrench into whatever we were trying to do. To your point about professional mentalities, it seems as though Gomez pretty much lost his head in this match. And I was thinking within the last 20, 30 minutes that he needed to be substituted for Tom Davies only in the interest of not getting a red card. Yeah, the frustration with the crowd and the players with Anthony Taylor just only grew and grew and grew until it was just outright disdain from all parties involved. And the commentators seemed to just be oblivious to how bad the refereeing was. It's off. It happens often, but they just seem to hate Everton. So anything we can do nothing right in their eyes, but yeah, Gomez had some really, really reckless challenges. We had five yellow cards to born this zero, which seems insane to me but yeah Gomez really fortunate not to be sent off and then to your point about Sigurdsson he was really poor in the first half I thought he kind of dug himself out of the out of the trench a little bit in the second half but I've seen a lot of fans call for Bernard to play at the 10 maybe next match and Calvert-Lewin to come in so Richarlison can play on the left-hand side what do you think what do you think about Bernard possibly playing at the 10 do you think Sigurdsson should be given a match or two on the bench? I think Bernard at the 10, from what I've seen and heard about his time in the Ukraine, he seems like that that might be his strongest position. It comes down to whether you feel that having Gomez and Ghana behind them gives us enough of a defensive backbone in midfield because of the, the lack of physicality that Bernard has. But he did have the most attempted tackles of any player today. So... I've actually been kind of impressed with his defensive work rate and Sigurdsson could probably do with a rest. I agree with that. It would give us a very different look with Bernard and his pace, um, his creative 
know-how. I just don't know. It's, it's, it's an unknown at this point whether that can work. We've seen him come on as a sub and kind of try to switch around, but I, I'm not sold on it, but I'm not opposed to seeing it tried out at this point. It's clear, I think, Sigurdsson probably could do with, with a spell on the bench. What do you think? It's tough because we have three players that we want to find a spot in the starting 11, and all three of them have a strongest position on the left-hand side, in my opinion, Richarlison, Bernard, and Lookman. People seem to have an opinion that Bernard is best at the 10. We haven't really seen him play there for any extended amount of time at Everton, but statistics suggest that his best play has always come from the left-hand side, which is kind of an interesting piece. We know that Lookman likes playing left-hand side because of the fact that he's right-footed. He prefers to cut in and, and shoot from there. And then Richarlison, he scores goals because he's a natural goal scorer in that regard, but he's still not poised for starting up top. I think that Sigurdsson could use a match or two on the bench, but the issue is the fact that he's such a good finisher and he has such good vision, although Bernard does too. Sigurdsson, you know that even if he's having a poor match, he's capable of just hitting those 35-yard screamers, right? Like the beautiful turn and shot at Leicester City, for example. So it's just difficult for me to say I want him to be rested, but I'm not opposed to the idea. He's clearly on a bit of a, a slump in form, but it's so easy to forget he's probably been one of our top five players this season. Lots of goals, lots of assists from midfield, and his work rate cannot be criticized in any way. It's, it's absolutely outstanding. From the time he was, from when he was subbed off, you know, up until that point, he never stopped trying. He never, you could tell he was frustrated with some, he had a, a wayward shot and some really poor wayward passes. So I think it's important to remember that like these players, as critical as, as we may be as fans of them, they know when they aren't playing well and they're probably just as hard on themselves, if not harder than the fans. Um, so, so those types of things, I think we need patience. I think, again, having a week to kind of contemplate where we're at, it puts things into perspective. The AGM last week talking about, we know that 11th isn't good enough. We also know that this is a long-term project. There's a lot of improvements that need to be made. And going forward, I think the squad rotation, I still think Marco Silva is struggling to find what his best 11 is. I think we're pretty close to that today. Adam Lookman needs to play over Theo Walcott point blank period moving forward. I can agree with that, especially since, you know, he was injured off and on, as you said earlier, Walcott is getting closer and closer to 30 years old. And we've known for the longest time that he really relies on his pace, which in the next couple of years is really going to start to degrade. We've already seen it degrade a tiny bit so far. Now, in terms of the AGM and talking about the squad itself and how they need to improve. One of the commentators on NBC today mentioned that they have heard we will not spend any money in January. We just had our January transfer episode with Christian from Toffee Targets. We talked about a lot of different possibilities in the market in and out. Do you think that's true that we won't spend any money in the January transfer window? 
Well, I think it's kind of two part. It's a two part thing, right? Where you don't want to come across to the public as desperate in any way, because that only weakens your negotiating position if you are trying to get players in. But additionally, the position that the squad are in fin- or the Everton are in financially, we can't afford to be bringing in these new players because we still have a lot of dead weight on the books. Even though we got rid of Belasi and Sandro and those types of players, they're still on our books because they're only gone on loan. When you have a player like Sandro on a six-figure weekly wage, it really puts you in a difficult position to sign new players because he's sucking up that bandwidth where you could bring in literally anyone would be an improvement on Sandro and Yannick Belasi. But because of the fact that we haven't been able to offload them due to the poor transfer strategy over the last couple of years, I think it's reasonable to expect that, as Marco Silva and Marcel Brands have said, it's going to be a one-in, one-out transfer policy. So if we're going to sign someone, we're going to have to get rid of someone as well. What do you think? So what you are thinking is that when they say no money spend, maybe you're thinking no net spend. Exactly. Yeah. I think if we're, if we're going to sign a player, we've got to get some wages off the books. There's just no way we can continue to, to sign players on huge deals because the players that we need to sign are not going to be cheap. And so we can't continue to just sign for the sake of signing because we're not Man City in a position where we can just spend whatever we want. And if it wor- doesn't work out, we just write it off because we're oil sheiks with billions and billions of dollars. That's true. And, you know, this might be an odd take, but I personally would be completely fine if we didn't sign anyone in January because I think that at this point in time, we just need to continue to see what we have and who works where. Because although we've made strides in trying a lot of different players in different positions, Marco Silva has given a lot of the young players plenty of playing time. You know, when, when starters have kind of dipped in form, they've had their chances. But there are plenty of other combinations of players in certain positions that we still theoretically could see, right? Talking about Lookman on the left, keeping Richarlison on the left, Bernard at the 10, those sorts of things. We haven't really seen Richarlison play on the right, although he's, it's been said that he can play across the front three. We haven't really seen Gilfie Sigurdsson play deeper. So Gilfie Sigurdsson paired with, you know, Bernard at the 10 could be a possibility too. So I think that there's plenty of opportunity to keep working with what we have, giving players the chance to continue to build those communication lines that you talked about earlier. And above all else, it's really about getting the confidence back. There's still a great deal of imbalance in the squad. We've got three players, like you said earlier, Lookman, Richarlison, and Bernard, who all prefer to play on the left-hand side. And then the right side, of course, is left wanting. And we do have a lot of experimentation left, but there's also something to be said for keep establishing a tried and true lineup, which we did early on. We had that consistency, whatever you want to say about what the lineup that was chosen, the results were indisputable. We were playing really well. So it's about getting that consistency back and establishing that confidence in the side, because when we did have that confidence, we looked from the get go of almost every game we played, like we were going to make it tough for the opposition and go to go on to win and play to win the game every single time. Now the last stretch that confidence is eroded. 
the fans don't feel the same amount of joy watching the team. It's it's become more frustrating because of the precedent that was set earlier this season. Yeah, and the other issue, as we've said many times, is the fact that we all came into the season thinking, like, it doesn't matter, we're just giving ourselves time. But then we make those signings that we did from Barcelona and, and Bernard, even though there were a ton of, quote-unquote, larger or better teams in for him. And it brings the expectations back up, and that's okay. The real test of time is going to be, how do we start the first half of next season, really? To wrap things up, James, we saw some pretty good performances in a blue shirt today. Who was your man of the match? I'm going to have to go with Michael Keane for the strong defensive display early on and then throughout the rest of the match. Didn't really have much to do as far as on the ball, but he made the plays when he needed to make the plays. Bournemouth never really were able to threaten around him. They weren't able to exploit any kind of weaknesses. And then that vital tackle at the end when we were looking very shaky and unconfident, that type of play to save what most likely would have been a goal. I think he deserves the man of the match performance, but there were a couple others. So Alex, I'll, I'll throw it over to you. Who do you, who's your man of the match? I think I'm going to have to go with Lucas Dean. That's because on both sides of the ball, he was good from start to finish his performance. His level of performance was pretty much, I think the highest specifically on average. He had the fantastic cross running away from goal, put it right on the head of his, of his, Frenchman buddy Kurt Zuma. So once again, he shows his class and the reason why he's been at clubs like Barcelona and PSG in such a short career. But Michael Keane, Gareth Southgate was in attendance today. And there are some England hopefuls on both sides of the pitch. Do you think he helped his chances quite a bit with Gareth Southgate and making the England squad again? Yeah, in what was a really scrappy and ugly game, I think he showed that he has the ability to stay settled, stay composed, and assert himself, use his physicality. I don't know how many better England center backs there are playing right now. The revolution that is Michael Keane for Everton this season can't be understated considering how poor he was last season. We know that was due partially due to the injury and the overall attitude and and play style around the club but yeah I think he's still so young and has a lot of room to grow but his transformation this season I think really really gives him a good opportunity to seize his shirt for England and those world cup cycles are really unforgiving aren't they we saw Luca Dean miss out on the France squad when they go on to the win the world cup although he was in I think most of, if not all, the qualifying matches, which is awful. Michael Keane, you know, he had a a terrible season last season, but he was playing, we found out, with close to an amputatable foot, if that's even a word, amputatable. Jordan Pickford goes to the World Cup, comes back, and now he seems like he has one of those World Cup hangovers. Nonetheless, hopefully we can see a lot of our players start pushing for their Euro squads in the next year and a half or so. Yeah, yeah, I, I agree. And I think even Adam Lookman may be starting to, if he, if he can keep up what he, the performance that he put up today for a, a long stretch, he's going he's gonna to give Gareth Southgate things to think about as well because there really aren't a ton of, you know, he's, he's, very, he's similar to a Raheem Sterling in his technical ability and his pace, maybe not quite 
as fast or as good yet. Near, not nearly as good, I'll say that. But he has performed at his age level very well, and he'll be looking to make that impact as well. So we do have players that are competing for their international teams. I personally would be okay if we have players that don't go. You know, the international breaks are now over, but that's always a risk for Everton specifically due to the unfortunate incidents we've had in the past. But it's just if we can, it's important that players regain their form. And if they do play well and they do deserve to be in their national team, it can only mean good things for Everton because it means that they're asserting themselves on the pitch and playing well. That means the team's playing well. Exactly does. Well, thanks so much for tuning in, everybody. Hope you have a fantastic week. Look forward to our pre-match episode coming in the next couple days. Thanks for tuning in to the American Toffee Podcast. Be sure to follow us on Twitter at USA Toffee Pod to stay up to date on the latest episode releases and Everton news. And we'll see you guys next time.